All right, let's bow our heads for a prayer, and we'll continue. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would bless us as we consider the testimonies that you've given to this church. I thank you, and I ask for you to be our teacher in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So our second section is about stopping the tidal wave of fanaticism. And maybe it's been a new idea to some of you that Satan really has this as part of his plan. He's afraid of the latter rain. And what's his best way to deal with that? It's to give a ladder something else. And um, we want to avoid it. Okay. I'm reading to you from... I reference it, I'll tell you as soon as I get to it. Hmm. And this is from Second Selected Messages, page 16. Fanaticism will appear in the very midst of us. Deceptions will come and of such a character that if it were possible, they would mislead the very elect. If marked inconsistencies and untruthful utterances were apparent in these manifestations, the words from the lips of the great teacher would not be needed. Remember when Jesus said, beware of false prophets? It is because of the many and varied dangers that would arise that this warning is given. Why did Jesus say, beware of false prophets? It was because Satan may cause a false prophet to say nothing that is obviously inconsistent or false. And yet you know how many people, despite that, that when they read the productions of someone who claims inspiration, are persuaded it must be from God just because initially they don't find anything that is... That's it. And I'm just telling you, we need to give the devil... Can you say more credit for something that's wicked? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's, he's wiser than we have thought he was, or acted as if he was. The reason why I hang out the danger signal is that through the enlightenment of the Spirit of God, I can see that which my brethren do not discern. It may not be positive, a positive necessity for me to point out all these peculiar phases of deception that they will need to guard against. It is enough for me to tell you, be on your guard. And as faithful sentinels, keep the flock of God from accepting indiscriminately all that professes to be communicated to them from the Lord. If we work to create an excitement of feeling, we shall have all we want and more than we can possibly know how to manage. Calmly and clearly preach the word. We must not regard it as our work to create an excitement. Listen, we're talking about a general principle. The general principle is that God's beautiful truth, calmly presented, will have a different impact than an effort to get the people excited. We might feel like, oh, but it's right to get them excited about a good thing. But we make an error in logic. When we get them excited about the right thing, their minds don't work so well. 
and it becomes so easy for Satan to trick them on some other point. Maybe some of you remember about Martin Luther in the Wartburg. You know, he was there, had been sent there, captured and taken there to protect him. He left when false prophets came from Zwickau to Wittenberg, his home. It was so instructional to me how Martin Luther undid the work of the false prophets. Do you know what he did? He went into Wittenberg and he preached six sermons. Calm, simple sermons. Didn't even make a reference to the false prophets. It worked. He was dealing with the false prophets indirectly by calming down the excitement that made it difficult for the people to think well. This is from page 43 of Second Selected Messages. We must bring our minds within the bounds of reason, lest the enemy so come in as to get everything in a disorderly way. There are persons of an excitable temperament who are easily led into fanaticism. So here's a good thing for us to evaluate ourselves. If the question is, am I someone easy to lead into fanaticism? One way to see if it was yes would be to say, do I have an excitable temperament? One of the nicest things that ever happened to me was that when I was a senior in high school, one of my teachers came up to me, she took me into a private room, and she just warned me that she had known people like me through her life, and many of them had become fanatics. And that she, she wasn't saying that I was one. You understand? But she was saying, be on your guard. I really appreciate that. That was Charlene Barge at Oklahoma Academy. I don't know if you ever... Did you ever meet Mrs. Barge? Yeah, that was her. There are persons of an excitable temperament who are easily led into fanaticism. And should we allow anything to come into our churches that would lead such persons into error, we would soon see these errors carried to extreme lengths. And then, because of the course of these disorderly elements, a stigma would rest upon the body of Seventh-day Adventists. Page 86 of the same. How is it, my brother, this is that letter to A.T. Jones. How is it, my brother, that you have taken up these communications and presented them before the people, weaving them in with the testimonies of God that he has given to Sister White? Where is your evidence that these are of God? You cannot be too careful how you hear, how you receive, how you believe. If I would say that sentence in another way, the default is, I'm looking for the right word for hesitancy, but it's another word. If you tell me this afternoon that you've had visions, I'm not going to relate to you entirely neutral. Default is disbelief. Not until I have sufficient, significant evidence that God has spoken through you am I going to receive your productions. 
You cannot be too careful how you talk of the gift of prophesying and state that I have said this and that in reference to this matter. Such statements I well know encourage men and women and children to imagine that they have special light in revelations from God when they have not received such light. Can you hear a mixture of insincerity and sincerity on their parts? I mean, they're sincere, but it was a result of their excited imagination that they concluded that God had given them special revelations. You are giving to the work a mold which it will take precious time and wearing labor to correct, to save the cause of God from another spasm of fanaticism. I want to give a little bit of credit to A.T. Jones. When he received this letter, the next Sabbath he got up in front of that same dime tabernacle and he told the people something like this. He said, last week I recommended to you the visions of honor. I was wrong. Now I'm right. And he sat down. If he had been that humble with the testimonies for the rest of his life, I'd expect to see him in heaven. This is from page 43 of the same. There is constant danger of allowing something to come into our midst that we may regard as the workings of the Holy Spirit, but that in reality is the fruit of a spirit of fanaticism. Mm -hmm. Do you understand the relation of the first lecture to the second? Doug was so right. What do we need in our church? The power of God's Spirit. We want the latter rain. We're to ask for it and to pray for it, to believe concerning it. And at the same time we're asking for this beautiful gift, we're going to have to watch out for its counterfeit. Because Satan doesn't bother with the counterfeit except when people are looking for the real. In fact, this is a common trick that people fall for. It's that they pray for the latter rain, and that's when Satan brings the fanaticism. Mm -hmm. And they think like this, but it must not be Satan because it came when I prayed. But do you really think Satan is so kind as to not try to trick you at the right time? Mm -hmm. So long as we allow the enemy of truth to lead us in a wrong way, we cannot hope to reach the honest in heart with the third angel's message. In other words... This just isn't my soul that's in danger from the fanaticism. If I really allowed this kind of trick to get under and into my experience, I cut off my ability to help, not my ability to help the excitable element. You know, Pentecostals, churches grow. But I cut off my ability to help the calm, seasoned, honest and heart people who, when they listen to my experience, will recognize something they've already rejected in their past. Do you follow that idea? We are to be sanctified through obedience to the truth. I am afraid of anything that would have a tendency to turn the mind away 
from the solid evidences of the truth as revealed in God's word. I am afraid of it. I am afraid of it. She said it twice. We must bring our minds within the bounds of reason, lest the enemy so come in as to set everything in a disorderly way. This is from page 95. Do you understand these are all from that section I told you to read? Mm -hmm. The people want a sign, as in the days of Christ. Then the Lord told them that no sign should be given them. The sign that should be manifest now and always is the working of the Holy Spirit upon the mind of the teacher. Listen carefully. To make the word as impressive as possible. The legitimate sign for you to receive is in this particular lecture, because I'm the one speaking, not that I'm special, but I just happen to be lecturing here, is for God, his spirit, to work through me, but not that you will trust some power that you hear through my words, but that when I ask you to read in scripture, you will sense the power of God in the scripture. That is, the spirit the power you're looking for is the power of Bible and not the power of charisma. The word of God is not a dead, dry theory, but spirit and life. Satan would like nothing better than to call minds away from the word to look for and expect something outside of the word to make them feel. They should not have their attention called to dreams and visions. If they would have eternal life, they must eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God. So you know, I can't read you 110 pages in five minutes. So can I repeat my recommendation? That you're going to actually study these sections. Many of our ministers can present to the people only a few doctrinal discourses. The same exertion and application which made them familiar with these points will enable them to gain an understanding of others. Here are preachers, she mentions, who they learned a few Bible studies, and when they present those, you know, they have power. And the very same application allowed them to acquire those Bible studies if they use that kind of work again would enable them to learn other Bible studies. I can testify to that, and I'm always so tempted to just be teaching everyone the newest things I'm learning. But I think that the church right now is at a level where we need some of the fundamental things over and over until we get them right. Mm -hmm. But for the preacher himself, he can't afford to just stick with that. It says, the prophecies and other doctrinal subjects should be thoroughly understood by them all. But some who have been engaged in preaching for years are content to confine themselves to a few subjects, being too indolent to search the scriptures diligently and prayerfully, that they may become giants in the understanding of Bible doctrines and the practical lessons of Christ. That isn't from Second Selected Messages. But it's related in this way. It's from Gospel Workers, page 169. God expects us to be diligent in our application to understand Bible doctrines. 
Really, that is the way he intends to keep us safe. Have you read that in Great Controversy? It's in the MAGA book. It's on page 232. I don't know what it is in other editions. It says that the... So marvelous, so carefully or marvelously will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. This is from the introduction to the great controversy. Uh, it's page seven, but it's page seven in the VII form, or just the introduction. The spirit was not given, nor can it ever be bestowed, <coughs> to supersede the Bible. For the scriptures explicitly state that the word of God is the standard by which all teaching and experience must be tested. Says the apostle John, believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. I am going to refer to Ernie for just a minute in closing because it refers to this. You know, someone asked Ernie or commented that he should test his spirits based on 1 John 4, where it says, you know what it says in 1 John 4? That every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesses not that he's come in the flesh is not of God. And it was just a short time after that that Ernie had a dream. And in the dream, his herald testified in the most solemn manner that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. I was amazed at how many people were impressed by that as if the devil can't tell lies. You know, there's more to confession than words. That's why in works they deny them. That's why when the devils confessed, saying, we know thee who thou art, the Son of God, it didn't recommend them as being true teachers. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is, the way to tell a false prophet from a true is not based upon his ability to say a certain magical phrase. Mm -hmm. It's going to require something else. And those who are too indolent to do it the right way will be led the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And we just don't want to be part of any wave that might be coming. Let's kneel for a closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would use the testimonies and second selected messages to do the very work you intended them to do. That as you prepare us to be filled with your spirit, that you would save us from being deceived by another. I ask that you'd remind us until it's a habit to be agonizing and searching our hearts and putting away sin. That you could save us and I ask for these gifts in the name of Jesus Amen, Amen.